Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. Thank you, Steve, and thank you to our listeners. Welcome to Financially Ever After. We have a fantastic guest here, Richard Adago, and he is someone you've probably heard before because he's been doing this for over 25 years. He's a partner in the matrimonial and family law practice. He's a seasoned litigator and has quite a bit of experience representing high net worth individuals in divorce proceedings. He also represents individuals in the ever evolving and changing area of same sex divorce litigation. Outside of his daily practice of law, uh, he keeps himself really busy. And I give you credit because you're also an adjunct professor at Fordham Law School. You've been doing this since 2012. He is well-known, and he was a featured lecturer just a few years ago in 2015 on the LGBT Bar Association of Greater New York on the panel, If Our Marriage Ends. It was a program on same-sex marriages. In 2011, his pro bono efforts on behalf of a female Iraqi war veteran who had lost custody of her children was featured in a documentary aired at the Robin Hood Foundation's annual gala, which I've been to. It's one of the most powerful, powerful events, the charity, the work that they do. And so I I very much applaud and and salute you with that. So thank you for being here. I'm really excited. Um, I'd love to hear just more about you and um, some of the the great projects that you're working on. What are you really excited about right now, Richard? First of all, thank you for that very nice introduction. And um, I'm very happy to be here to talk to you. There are no particular projects uh, that I'm working on at the moment. Uh, work is a project. Yes, I can so imagine. To speak. So, you know, I uh, represent uh, men and women equally. It's not a uh, traditional, it's not a uh, man only or women only uh, practice. And we just have a lot of different kinds of cases. Um, and when you mentioned the same sex litigation, um, we also do same sex prenuptial agreements. Prenuptial agreements are an important part mm-hmm. of our practice. Um, so we we handle a lot of different aspects of these kinds of situations. Uh, there is, um, and of course, my work at Fordham Law School keeps me busy, something mm-hmm. I very much enjoy. The students at Fordham Law School are, are terrific. So um, it's just work that keeps me and keeps our colleagues going, keeps us very busy. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there's, you know, we handle all different kinds of matters. And something you and I spoke with earlier was, uh, an increased amount of work in terms of what we call great divorces, which you mentioned in your introduction. Yeah, so I'd love to hear about your experience with that. This is, as I've been reading in the in the research, and, and what we've also seen in our practice, one of the biggest areas of growth, and it's sadly, um, you wouldn't want it to be a large area of growth. And is it because 
people have, there's such great medical advantages that, you know, instead of celebrating 30 years together, now couples are looking at 40, 50, even 60 years together. And that number is just a little too much. Um, what do you think are the, the trends that are really fueling uh, a lot of the breakups of, of marriages that have been together for, for dozens of years? The, the increase, the, the noticeable increase in what we term in our industry, what we describe in our industry as gray divorces, is the result of a number of different factors. First of all, I will just tell you that statistically, um, 20 years ago, gray divorces, and those are, let's say, people in their 50s and 60s, and sometimes we see them in their 70s, perhaps they made up 10% of the divorces nationally. Um, that number has increased to almost 25%, huh. which is a dramatic increase. And it's the result of a lot of different factors. Uh, one, there's no longer any kind of um, social stigma to mm-hmm. divorce. No. I mean, that just no. doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little easier in New York. Um, since New York passed its no-fault um, divorce provision in 2010, mm-hmm. we were the last state in the country to do that. And it took a lot, very long time and a lot of fighting to get there. So it makes that part of the divorce in terms of actually getting divorced, no-fault, makes it easier. But the other reasons are you hit one key issue is longevity. People are living longer, people are living healthier lives, medical care is better, Mm -hmm. and you know, maybe they're 60 years old and they're looking around and they're like, I'm um, in a situation where I could live to 90 or more. And they're looking at the person next to them saying, and I'm not sure I wanna spend the next 30 years with this person. Perhaps Mm -hmm. the marriage has been unhappy for a long time, maybe not, maybe it's just turned over the last decade. At that point, typically your children are grown, you're you're empty nesters, Uh, you're looking for a different life, uh, different, uh, some sort of personal fulfillment. Maybe you're in a position where you'd like to travel and Mm -hmm. your spouse isn't interested in that. Maybe you're interested in doing other things that your spouse isn't interested. So there's a... The marriage has run its course, yeah. And and of course, women today um, tend to be. There is a certain amount of savviness in terms of finances. Not for all women. That's one of the challenges for women in that uh, in that uh, group in that category. Uh, but they there's a way for them to find out what their finances is about, and there are resources for them, like Francis Financial, mm-hmm. very good lawyers, very good accountants. So women are a little more empowered at that age to say, I don't want to live like this anymore. It's okay to be a single woman mm-hmm. and there's a high divorce rate and that divorce rate within that group is really increasing. And they know, well, they find out there's a lot of other people out there that are in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, again, it's just, there's no societal stigma, yeah. lo- longevity, better health care. Hopefully their financial situation will be all right. And again, the children are gone and they're just like, you know, I want, yeah. I, I want a different life. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And they're entitled to that. Are there any unique issues that you see um, make gray divorce uh, more difficult or easier? I mean, are, are there specific things that you see that characterizes gray divorce more so than than maybe younger couples? Uh, the only thing that jumps out in terms of making it easier is that the children are grown. Yeah. So you don't They're have not child at home. custody yep. or parenting 
issues, which certainly makes it much easier. Um, although there have been articles about even the adult children of divorce um, do struggle with it, but mm-hmm. not not at the same not on the same level as as younger children. Uh, putting that aside, I think that the the challenges. What makes them more challenging, uh, particularly when I'm representing the woman, uh, is that women of a certain age, unlike younger women today, um, and I say young women, 20s, 30s, 40s, women who are 55 and up, 60, 65, the marriages tended to be more traditional. Mm-hmm. She was a stay-at-home, mm-hmm. the husband was the breadwinner, the husband controlled the finances, and where it's challenging is oftentimes women come in and they are very much in the dark yeah. about their finance. They really don't know what they have and they're frightened. Yeah. And our job, along with other people that we like to get these women um, to work with, is to gather the information, do the financial discovery, find out what's there um, to make sure that they get their fair share, which in a long marriage is typically going to be like 50% of the assets yeah, yeah. Um, in New York. New York really acts like a community property state like California, although it's technically equitable distribution, it really acts like a community property state. And that's where it's challenging because they are scared and it's our job to try to calm them down and get them uh, comfortable and get them and educate them. As I yeah. said to you earlier, you know, knowledge is power. You, you shared a story um, about a, a woman who came in and that really had no knowledge and you had painted the story where she had been married to this gentleman for dozens of years. It was a 30 year marriage 30, plus. Fe- thinking that they were very poor. But you found something very different than that. Very different. I don't think she thought they were poor as much as she just thought it was a very um, uh, very limited financial pot, if you will. And he, she had never really worked very much. Um, she dabbled, but not very much. He worked, and he controlled the finances. Mm-hmm. He kept all the accounts in his name, which is mm-hmm. not so unusual in that generation. Mm-hmm. And he was very uh, frugal, for lack of a better word. And um, control. He was a controlling person. And this is I, that's the, I see those dynamics. That dynamic a lot in these cases, where the, particularly the husband can be somewhat controlling. And she really, she was absolutely clueless. And when she first met, we started going through things. Some things we remember thinking, well, you have this apartment in the city on the Upper East Side, and he ultimately bought. They bought, but it was in his name. You know, a weekend house in New Jersey, not in the Hamptons, but in New Jersey. I thought, well, there must be some resources there. It didn't quite. Yeah, there sound must be something, right. right? And through the financial discovery and the sworn documents, called a net worth statement, et cetera, et cetera, we discovered that he had accumulated in terms of investments um, easily four and a half million dollars in My liquid gosh. assets. He had his own separate property, which was worth a substantial amount of money, but that was his separate property. And plus they had the, the properties, although even with mortgages, there was equity. And we were like, you're gonna be absolutely fine. Plus she would be entitled to some spousal maintenance because yeah. of her age and she hadn't worked. And it was quite a revelation. Um, that's a little extreme, but still yeah. she was, you know, it's not so extreme for you know someone to come in and, and be, that much in the dark. And as I said to you, she was very, very happy at the end to know that she was going to be financially secure, whether she lived to 70, 80, 90, or 100. And yet, at the same time, a little bitter that they had lived a very frugal yeah. lifestyle. And they could have lived a different lifestyle. Yeah. But at least the good news is, 
because of the frugality, there's she there's had a money lot of there. options. She will not have a care in the world. It's interesting. I had a, a a lovely client that we're we're working with right now, and uh, she is younger, in her late thirties, and is so financially in the dark that she doesn't know what they what they have, and only has access to a, a joint checking account. He files uh, married filing separately, tax returns, so that she's not able to see any of his income or any type of dividends or interest or, or gains from from other sources. And I it, it kind of put me in my place because I was trying to get an idea of her lifestyle. And one of the questions that I've learned to ask is, well, when you when you when you travel, do you travel economy? Do you travel business class or do you travel first class? And I, I didn't know. I, I had a pretty sure it was not economy, uh, but she said, "No, no, no. We have our own plane." Oh, so Richard, <laughs> right? Um, but, but well, he, there's a clue. <laughs> there, there's a clue. But she really didn't know if they had um, a million, a uh, hundred thousand, or, or ten million, or, or, or more. They really just she didn't know. And I, I am. I agree with you. I definitely see it more so in the gray divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, I feel like there are a lot of marriages where women just are, are not part of the financial picture. And so if a woman is is hoping to get educated, particularly if she's been in a long-term marriage and essentially not been involved with the financial, how can she how can she start to get educated? But at the same time, maybe she doesn't want to, you know, bring up any concerns or raise any fears of, you know, how how come all of a sudden I'm getting involved? Is he going to start to wonder what's really going on? I get I get a lot of questions from women of they they know they need to get educated, but they're not number one sure how and how do they do that in a way that doesn't raise flags? That guess what I'm in the process of getting rid of you. Right. That's <laughs> that's very that's a great question. That's that's very challenging. Yeah. And what they have to do is they have to do a little investigative work. They have to do they have to play a detective. Little, a little Sherlock Holmes. Um, you know, do the statements come to the house? If the statements are coming to the house, you need to try to make get a hold of them and make copies. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a family computer that you use? Would you? It, is it possible you would know his password? You're allowed. You're allowed to do that. That's a, it's a family computer. There's information there. You know, is he? He may be in that situation. Like in the the example you gave, very controlling. But there may be some cracks in the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, income tax returns he filed separately, but maybe there are copies in the mm-hmm. house. You know, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what they really have to do. And if it doesn't. If it's if there the wall is solid and she can't get to the get to any of the information, then what she will have to do is is once she moves forward with the divorce, mm-hmm. the lawyers will do it. The a forensic person yeah. will do it. Um, yeah. And if he's not being cooperative or she's not being cooperative, you know, it could be a two way street. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's gender neutral, though more often it's the men. Um, you'll get the court involved. And yeah. The court will say you're going to have to produce. Yep. These documents we need to we need to see those income the income tax returns are going to be one of the first set yeah. of documents and we will get three to five years of those right off yeah. the bat. Yep. And Richard, you talked a little bit about what's what's acceptable. So a family computer that the family uses, mm-hmm. you might know as password, able to log into Charles Schwab or whatever it might be. What's not allowed, or areas that are maybe more gray. 
breaking into his computer at work when he's not there. You don't necessarily have a key for the office door. I assume those would be things that are no-nos. If you're talking about the the office door in the home, I think that's completely accessible. Yes. You need to get yeah. a locksmith in there. I think, I think that's perfectly fine to do that. Uh, no, breaking into his uh, work office, work office yeah. or his work laptop could present problems. Um, putting on uh, spyware on a computer. Uh, the computer is is problematic we've had instances it was just a decision that was rendered not very long by judge sunshine in brooklyn where the husband put spyware on the wife's computer and then pulled out all the communications between the wife and her attorneys which are obviously quite privileged and then those the information started to get shared so there were certain things wow you can't do you can have conversations um you're allowed to tape a conversation between let's say spouses mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um as long as one party actually knows that i could tape a conversation with you without telling you because i know as long as one part of the conversation knows you can perhaps have a conversation and try to get information and tape it uh, but there's you know eavesdropping is not legal a uh, spyware is really very 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 tricky so there are challenges as I said, in terms of getting the information, if someone has been very good about putting up that wall and being very secretive about it. But we do get it eventually. You don't always find cash that's sitting in the Cayman Islands in yeah. Switzerland. That's that's very, very hard to do, but, but you can get the information. And so there's a lot of hope for women who maybe don't know everything, have exhausted as many resources. And, and you know, I'm sure they're going to get bits and pieces there, but know that they don't have everything that, guess what, if it's not given in discovery, if you have a good lawyer, they they will find that and they'll hire the right people. So and that's it's the okay. key. The key it's is okay. hiring. It is okay. And the key is hiring the right people saying, I need that person to do tracing. And here's yep. an example, you know, people will, uh, you know, uh, it, to me, income tax returns are the most one of, the, one of the easiest documents to manipulate. And people will show an adjusted gross income. That's ridiculous. Because when you look at the adjusted gross income against their lifestyle, it's like, well, no, you can't possibly be earning only that and flying on a private jet. Exactly. There's so got to right be something away, going on. The, the bells and the whistles will go off and you'll say, no, no, there's so there's there's a disconnect here. Mm-hmm. So it is it, it if you really work it and you get the right group of people together to work with this client and say, we're going to pursue this, you're going to get a lot of the financial information. Mm-hmm. And the husband, both parties have to prepare sworn to net worth statements that have to be certified by their attorneys. And, you know, you better be, the yeah. disclosure better be there. You know, mm-hmm. it could present a very big problem for the person who's not disclosing. Exactly. So there's absolutely hope. There's a way to, there's a way to get there. You have to be patient and they have to try to be calm. So you talked a little bit about how um, a good number of your clients have money anxiety. And you shared also a really mm-hmm. powerful um, you know, money history of mm-hmm. not only for you, but it, it sounds like you, you understand that you're able to understand those, those fears and, and not always being 100% comfortable around money because you've gone through some money anxiety yourself growing that, up. That is, is, that, that, is, is that right? That, absolutely correct. You and I talked where I grew up in a, in a family where uh, finances were challenging and uh, we were I'm not a trust fund kid and we didn't, you know, money was money. We had to be very careful with money. And um, I 
have always carried that with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make me nervous, and and uh, my wife is much less nervous. So actually, in our relationship, my wife handles a lot of our finances. The difference is I know a certain amount. Yeah. Um, there are certain things I don't, we don't, I do not know. I do not know what the credit card spending is because I will have, I know I will have a anxiety attack. So she's better off that you not know. And we, of course, we have our private, uh, we have an invest mm-hmm. investment advisor and he works with us. So I have a sense yeah. of what's there, but I do identify with these individuals when they come in. I said, I do get that anxiety because I had that, you yeah. know, and I still, it's something you do carry with you. So I'm yeah. very, you know, it gets me a little anxious. So I'm sympathetic yeah. to them. And Richard, I so appreciate you sharing that because I, I know that one of the biggest fears women have walking in any matrimonial attorney's office is the worry about, I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be judged for whatever it is. And so you're going in and in a very different way where you understand you you understand Absolutely. where that that comes Absolutely. from and i that's that's so powerful it's so powerful there are two things there's the am i going to be judged and of course again the other thing is and am i going to be okay mm-hmm. and you can't necessarily right. answer right. that question immediately when they first come in it's like well let's see what's out there before we can you know give you mm-hmm. that answer and it is interesting too with you know women um who come in and and have lived, let's say, have lived a high lifestyle and they come in and there's a little bit of a, well, how can I possibly live on this? You know, and it's like, no, no, with the interest, you know, uh, and the yep. return on your capital, the, the interest on your investments, you, you'll be fine. You just have to give them that, that comfort yeah. level, but they shouldn't be judged. Yeah. And there are women who come in who have, let's say the women who do know what the financial situation is and they have lived a uh, very comfortable lifestyle. Well, that was the lifestyle that was provided uh, during the marriage based upon the income that was coming in. Who am I to judge or anyone yeah. else? That's yeah. how they lived. And there's no reason, yeah. you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. You know, you talked a little bit about ingrained divorce that uh, many of these marriages, there can be much more control. Yes. Yes. And I don't want to go as far as intimidation, um, but I've seen uh, some of our clients really struggle uh, to stand up and advocate for themselves after a lifetime of being with someone uh, where they've they've played a role where he he called all the shots. How do you how do you give her the the strength? Um, but also letting her know that that she needs to do this. I, I, I find it so difficult. Um, I feel too many women are are willing to just walk away with so much less than they're even legally entitled to. Um, we have women who are happy to walk away with 30% of the marital yeah. assets just to get out, to get away from him. Him. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. And and that's something that I struggle with because I I don't want to I don't want to place my values on them, um, I don't want to force them to do something that uh, doesn't feel right. But at the same time, it pains me to see them not get what they're legally entitled to. I I, I have experienced that, and yeah. you know we I, one of the issues that we have is the dynamics of the marriage carry over. Mm-hmm. into the, the dynamics of the divorce. And that's something that we have to work very hard to change. 
you're you no longer have to listen to this individual necessarily you know he or she in this case more often he he's no longer running the show there are now other people involved you have lawyers involved perhaps you have um a financial advisor um and you have to work with them and and say look this is this is that was then and this is now um and i agree with you that Sometimes women will take a little less than what they're entitled to. I strongly discourage them from doing that, but I'm also not going to make them do something they don't want to do. And if they may say, oh, you know, I'll be fine. But let's, but I'm always like, well, let's, you know, you're entitled to more. So let's see if we, if we yeah. can get there. So it, it's, a, it's a process. You know, I do, I do encourage women. I can think of a woman now that I've been consulting with where I said, I think a support group would be so good for you. It's a woman. It's 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 run by uh, a, a woman on the Upper East Side, and it's it's for women. It's a support group. I think she's become so successful in uh, that she's now setting up a second one. And I just think this woman, this particular woman, with her personality, who's about sixty years old, it would be perfect for her because mm-hmm. it's sitting with other women, different ages, mm-hmm. but going through different, you know, similar experiences, different experiences. You know, every divorce is different. It's about support and it's about strength and it's about empowerment and mm-hmm. saying, you know, kind of being confident, more confident yeah. that I can take this on. I have yeah. people helping me so that I can get to a point where I can stand up to this person. Say, that We're not doing it that way anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's the way to do it. It's mm-hmm. just, just to help with any number of people helping yeah. this person. I've even had some women say um, that the way they talk to their husband, um, as hard as it might be, they talk to him through their lawyer because they feel that if they're sitting in a mediation session, that they're just gonna go back to that relationship where he was calling the shots if they're in a room together and finds that she's just not ready, she's just not, you know, not strong enough to be to be in that position. I think mediation is a great tool and a great way to go for certain kinds of cases. But there are many cases where it doesn't work. When someone calls me and tells me that they they they're they're contemplating going to mediation and then they tell me what's going on, I generally if they're telling me that that's the dynamics, he's yeah. very controlling, she's very subservient, um, and I, I feel like they're going to go into mediation that she's going to be at a distinct disadvantage. Yeah. If the view is I, we really want to try to mediation, mediation to try to keep the cost down, I'll say, well, you can do that, but you you can both or you can. He doesn't have to do it. Uh, have a lawyer in your corner and be mm-hmm. an advocate communicating you. mm-hmm. with your lawyer. Or if it doesn't work, if mediation's out of the question, well then. You do it with the lawyers because they are concerned they're going to be in a room and they're going to get bullied and they're going to get intimidated and they hopefully feel that that's not going to happen with their lawyer they're saying no no that's not going to work yeah that's not going to work or you know what we're going to step out of the room or you're going to step out of the room for a few minutes until everyone calms down and behaves properly Mm because i will not tolerate that kind of behavior and i don't want my client to tolerate that either so there is you know that that's my pitch a spiel if you will on on mediation and i think for some time i think for certain cases it's the only way to go but in other cases 
not not quite right. Yeah. And the other thing I will also say, uh, you mentioned something before, is is I will say to uh, my client, if the email communications or the texting communications are somewhat abusive, I just say you need to disengage. Yeah. That's very hard because yeah. they've been engaging for 20, I don't know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, whatever. That's a very hard habit to break. Yeah. But I really do work with them. And if they're seeing a therapist, I also encourage the clients, if you're not seeing a therapist, you should see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the therapist will recommend medication. I don't know. That's not, you know. Yeah. But I will certainly say you need to disengage and stop doing the dance that you yeah. were doing all those years. Because that's what the other person, that's what he wants. And yeah. that's a control method, if you mm-hmm. will. And you want to get her to disengage from that yeah which is really important to give her space she needs some space and she needs to stop being harassed and harangued with the emails and the texts and whatever yeah i mean i can only imagine even just looking at your inbox and seeing an email from him not even reading it but then you're immediately going back into that right right you know that that traumatic they immediately tense up yeah and (laughs) so essentially what's great about email these days is that you can block senders you can I have bl- done that. Right. You can <laughs> block senders. And just like you can block calls yep. from, yep. you know, telemarketing companies, you can now block senders. And, um, right. you know, if there's a problem with your kids, you can have him contact right. his the therapist or contact, right. you know, the lawyer to get that message right. to you. And so I've that, certainly had instances where, you know, we, we want them to be able to communicate about the children and the judges certainly want them to communicate. But if the if one of the parties is using that that method of communication to to abuse the mm-hmm. spouse, we just put a stop to it. And while yeah. say to the other the, the abuser's lawyer, my client has put a block on these things. I guess you'll just have to write letters to me and I'll forward them to my client. And that's not how we want it to work, but I'm, we're not going to permit your client to continue to abuse my client and do it through the back door under the guise of, well, these are, you know, child-related yeah. communications. And people do try to do that, and you have to be vigilant about we're not going to let that continue. Mm-hmm. You obviously have worked a lot with these types of clients that need the advocate that um, are struggling You right. know, to keep the divorce process to not mimic what their marriage was. When someone is going to interview lawyers and let's say they're interviewing three different lawyers how does she know that her lawyer is going to help protect her from herself i I mean are there is it have you know what type of divorces have you worked on do you do you work with old you know gray divorce would those be questions you know how many clients have you worked with in this area Uh, what do you see are the some of the bigger challenges that that you know certain gray divorces might face well that's a a lot of questions there (laughs) yeah the um the i I work with um people who are divorcing of all ages yeah uh i have divorces with the late 20s their 30s their 40s their 50s their 60s so but but you also are very insightful you're extremely extremely insightful in not just the legal piece but 
the emotional piece of where your clients are. And that's not something you see all the time. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I had started my career as a prosecutor with Manhattan DA's office. And then the last two years there, I was with the Child Abuse Bureau, where we prosecuted felony level child abuse cases, and then eventually segued um, uh, into matrimonial law, because it was an area that I was interested in. I didn't want to do a practice that was purely corporate or, you know, paper work, although matrimonial cases are paper intensive, but I really wanted to continue to work with individuals. And someone has suggested, actually my wife has suggested, you know, this is an area you're interested in. I think you would be good at it. So I always give her credit for it. And she said, I think it's something you should pursue. And I did. And I wound up joining a firm that had a terrific practice. And I, I the rest is history is 25 years later. Um, I'm, I'm empathetic. Um, I'm fairly fairly patient you have to be patient in this yeah. industry mm-hmm. you really have to be patient and i you know how do these individuals you know make the decision because many of them do talk to several lawyers uh i'm i think that you have to come across as you have to know the law and be able to explain the law without overwhelming them um, you certainly it helps to be empathetic um, it helps to listen. You have to listen and, and hear, hear what they have to say. Uh, you have to try not to scare them uh, and try to give them some sort of a roadmap. Mm-hmm. Well, this is where I think we sh- you need to go with this. And, and, and this is how I think you need to get to a certain point. These are clearly, here are the issues in your case. Well, whoever the client is. But obviously, if we're talking about great divorces, you know, because knowing that this is particularly difficult at this age um, <clears throat> to be faced with this. And, you know, by the way, I've been talking as though they're always the one who wants out, but that's not necessarily true. I've had women come to me and say, I am I am devastated of because course. my husband has decided to move on. He's found someone else. And it's, you know, they're heartbroken. And that's heartbreaking to see. Yeah. And you have to. And I one thing I do like, I enjoy, and I've experienced this over the last year where they're women who I maybe perhaps started working with six months ago, um, eight months ago, and I see them now, they're in a different place. I saw a client, I was in court today with a client who was a younger woman, and she's definitely, she's so much stronger than she was four months ago. And it's like, well, that's terrific. Right. And I I can think of another woman who's older, who's much, much going to therapy. She has great friends, and um, friends are important in this process, you know, and... I see the the um, personal growth, if you will, which is terrific. So you have to lay out a lot of different things for these clients. In, and the one thing I do not do is I do not sugarcoat things to make a sale so they will retain me. I don't like that. I don't think that's fair. Yeah, because you do hear that, that, no, you'll be fine. That million dollars of separate property, don't worry about it. Right. We'll, we'll get it, um, you know, yeah. not knowing really if, if that's, yeah. Right, yeah. right. Well, Richard, I can't thank you enough for your time. This has been unbelievably insightful. And I know that our listeners are looking at divorce, not only those that might be going through the process of gray divorce, but I feel like all these tips are perfect for really anyone 
going through divorce, whether it's um, someone who's thinking about it going through or really even um, at the tail end. So I, I can't thank you enough. I'd love to hear um, if you want to share how our listeners might learn a little bit more about you, um, maybe share your website. Um, that would be great. And we'll be sure to also put it up in the show notes. So everyone listening will be in the show notes um, also with your information, because I know you guys have a great a great firm and you do really good work. Thank you. Well, first of all, um, I so enjoyed speaking to you today um, and having m- met you more formally today than in the past. And uh, I hope that we'll be able to speak again. Uh, the best way to find me, I'm a partner at Phillips Neiser, which has been around for many decades. Very exciting firm, going through a lot of great changes. We've just moved offices and we're expanding and it's it's a very exciting time to be there. Uh, Blank Rome has had a very good uh, matrimonial family law practice for decades and decades. Um, one of the uh, founders of the uh, of the practice was a woman named Julia Perlis, who was really the architect of the equitable distribution law mm-hmm. that was passed uh, in New York in 1980, which really changed things for the better for mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. when it came to divorce, so that women were just not being disenfranchised of their property rights. So it's very exciting to be a partner there. Um, with a great department. It's a full-service firm that does that services a lot of different clients, uh, litigation, trust and estates, real estate, uh, um, intellectual property, um, et cetera, et cetera. But the matrimonial practice is terrific. The best way to find me would simply to go to www.phillipsnizer, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S, N-I-Z-E-R.com and look me up and look yep, up the you're firm. you're right under the, the attorney. Just right under the Just attorneys, go under the attorney button. And you'll yep. find me there with whatever picture they've posted there. <laughs> I'm easy to find. Well, we'll post a picture too, just so that people can recognize you you just in case. Well, thank you so much for your time. And thank you you to our listeners. Uh, Any of our listeners have questions um, and want a second opinion about their financial uh, finances, their assets, what things look like, um, please visit our website. Right on the uh, front page, you'll see information about the second opinion. And essentially what we'll do is we'll map out all your uh, assets. We'll look at them under an x-ray eyeglass and let you know um, what percentage you have in large company stocks versus small versus uh, international versus bonds. And while, um, you know, when you're going through divorce, you don't necessarily want to make any real significant changes to your your assets or the way they're invested. It is important, uh, as we talked about, it's important to know what you have. And it's also important to know what you don't know. Um, so if that's helpful, please visit the website www.francisfinancial.com. And we also have a link to a very special book called Unveiling the Unspoken Truth. It talks about the challenges, the legal, the financial, the emotional challenges women face going through divorce. And we spent a year interviewing 150 women, asking them over 100 very personal questions. And the sharing, the outpouring of information and support was something I've never seen. And so that's something we'd love to share with you if that might be helpful for you as you navigate uh, your journey as well. So thank you again, Richard. And uh, thank Thank you you. for being here at Financially Ever After. Thank you.